Happy Friday, everybody, and welcome to Unbothered. Today's episode heavily featured college football special today. I'm going to be breaking down my division conference winners, who I think will be making the playoff, winning it all this year. Some of the other New Year's Six games as well, who I think will win the Heisman. Some of my top players I'm looking forward to watching this college football season. And then in the NFL, I'll be talking about Aaron Donald. Should his actions yesterday be excused? Uh, then what did Devontae Adams say about Aaron Rodgers that I need to respond to? Uh, Jordan Love and Trey Lance's preseason games. And will the Lakers send Russell home like the Rockets did to John Wall? Great show today. Again, happy Friday. Usually start with the NFL, but today starting with college football. Uh, let's get right into it. Starting with who I think is going to win each conference. Now let's start with the ACC, the Atlantic Coastal Conference. Uh, that is a conference that Clemson has dominated for so long. Uh, last year, however, even though they got to 10 wins, they weren't as strong as they usually were. Uh, Pittsburgh uh, won that uh, conference last year. So this year, can Clemson get back on top? They are ranked four in the AP preseason poll. And I think Clemson is going to be uh, better this year. Last year, they were kind of in a rebuilding year. But I think I'm not going to say that they're back this year because for Dabo Sweeney and for Clemson, when you're back, you're winning a title. I don't think they're back like that. But I do think that they win their division and their conference. I think their regular season record is 10-2. and two. Uh a lot of people are pegging them to go back to the playoffs, uh, you know, be 11-1, and maybe 12-0. However, I don't see that from Clemson. Uh, you know, I think they have a great, great defensive line, Brian Brees, uh, defensive tackle. Uh, you know, they have a good offensive line, so they're strong on both lines. However, I'm not sold on their quarterback. He's not somebody... Uh, that, you know, I have a lot of faith in, uh, DJ Ugalele, uh, you know, he's a big guy, big arm, but he has trouble with his accuracy. And that's something you can teach to a degree, but a lot of that's just on the quarterback. Last year, his first full year starting, 55% completion percentage. That's the kind of completion percentage that scares me. I don't like to see anything below a 60. So 55%, it's pretty bad. Uh, His yards per attempt were six, weren't good. And he had nine touchdowns to 10 interceptions. So it wasn't a good year for him. Uh, And then coaches in camp, you know, some of them have been praising. There's been some concerns about his weight. So, college football has shifted a lot to the offense and being a quarterback-driven league. 
And I don't like their offense. I think they can have one of the best defenses in the country. I really do think Clemson have a great defense, even though they lost Brent Venables, uh, the best defensive coordinator. Uh, you know, they got their guy, Wes Goodwin. Uh, so I think there'll be some growing pains in the beginning. However, with that quarterback situation in the ACC, I know hasn't been a particularly strong conference. You know, Clemson's dominated it. But teams last year caught up to Clemson. And Clemson, you know, you know, we await the downfalls of teams. And Alabama's re- really the only one that with, uh, withstands it, weathers the storm. To me, last year, it felt like teams have caught up to Clemson. And, you know, there's a couple stretches in Clemson season where I think they lose a game because of their quarterback play uh, in their and that's why I think they're going 10-2. and two. I look at their schedule. You know, they have a bunch of cakewalks to start off the schedule. Uh, Georgia Tech, Furman, Louisiana Tech. So quarterback really won't be tested there. But then you have a two-game stretch, two of the better teams in the ACC. You go to Wake Forest. Wake Forest had a tremendous year uh, last year in conference. And just, uh, you know... In terms overall, they were, I think, ranked, you know, number 13 or 12 at one point in the college football playoff rankings. They were playing really good, you know, beginning, middle of the season and kind of tailed off. So this game's at Wake Forest. So that's going to be a rough one uh, for Clemson. But then the following week, they play North Carolina State. And to me, North Carolina State has the best quarterback in the conference, Devin Leary. So if this is going to be you know, a high-scoring game between North Carolina State, Clemson. Give me North Carolina State, and I don't think North Carolina State, you know, has a terrible defense either. Uh, So Clemson, I think, are going to lose one of those two games. Uh, And then they have a couple more easier games, Boston College, Florida State rebuilding. But then they have a very tough three-game stretch. They go to Notre Dame. At Notre Dame, and I think Notre Dame's going to be good this year. They open against Ohio State, which will be rough. But, you know, I think the more Marcus Freeman plays with this uh, group, the more uh, continuity they get, the better off. I could see them losing to Notre Dame. Uh, if they don't, the week after that, they play Louisville. Big rivalry for them. Malik Cunningham, another year there. Uh, they could pull off an upset. And then the week after that, they get Miami. Miami, Mario Cristobal, new head coach there from Oregon. Uh, A lot of people are hot on Miami uh, so far. They also got my coordinator, Josh Gaddis, there at Miami as well. Miami's done a lot of good things. Uh, So I look at Clemson. It's a team that has some strengths there, but it's a team that has a lot to be desired, a lot of question marks, and this isn't one of their – Dominant teams of, you know, DeAndre Hopkins, Deshaun Watson type of team. It's just not uh, Isaiah Simmons. It's not this team. So Clemson, I think, will be back to a certain degree. However, I think they're 10-2, and two, uh, and they're really in the thick of things. So, yes, I think they could lose one in their earlier stretch, and then they have a tough stretch later. And I'm not counting out South Carolina. 
because I think Shane Beamer, excellent coach, Spencer Radler, transferred from Oklahoma there. So I think this division and this conference, again, is going to be very tough. Uh, Clemson, North Carolina State, Miami. Uh, but I do think Clemson edges out North Carolina State. Uh, I think North Carolina State can end up beating them earlier in the year. But I think North Carolina State suffers a few more losses. I think Clemson loses to Notre Dame. I think they finish 10-2, and 7-1 and one in the conference. Uh, they play Miami, who I think will be 9-3, and 6-2 uh, in the conference. I think they play, and I think Clemson will ultimately wind up winning that game. So I got Clemson back on top of the ACC. However, they're not fully back to where Clemson fans really want Clemson to be, and that's competing for national titles. Next conference. The Big 12. Now, the Big 12 is interesting because, you know, it's one conference now. There's not two divisions in there like ACC, Big 10, SEC. So the two best teams play each other at the end of the year. And this year, Oklahoma uh, has lost quite a bit. Um, you know, they've lost their uh, head coach, Lincoln Riley, left to USC. He also took Caleb Williams with him from USC. Their backup quarterback, Spencer Radler, who was a number one quarterback prospect, got back left for uh, South Carolina. So Oklahoma, new offense, new coach, Brent Venables, was the Clemson defensive coordinator, who I think is terrific. He has a job there. But I also think Dylan Gabriel, who transferred there, from UCF is going to be a great fit there for uh, Brent Venables in this team. You know, a few games he played uh, last year, 68% completion percentage, uh, 814 passing yards, nine touchdowns, three interceptions, uh, a great passer rating. So I think Dylan Gabriel coming into this conference uh, with right now isn't the most competitive conference in the college football world, I think this greatly benefits him. I think Brent Venables is great. Oklahoma is great. And I have Oklahoma winning this division at 10-2. and Uh, You know, you look at Baylor. Baylor was really good last year, but they lost a lot of key pieces in the draft, a lot of graduate seniors as well that went on. Oklahoma State was a great story last year, Mike Gundy. They also lost some pieces, and you never know with Oklahoma State if they're really going to be good or not. And then Texas, Texas started off promising. They kind of faltered. Uh, I'm going to say Texas was better this year. However, there's still one more year left for Texas before they get really good, which is sad because, to me, they have one of the best players on their team. Is one of the best players in college football is Bijan Robinson. Uh but Oklahoma, great team. I think uh, they get tested early in their rivalry game. Nebraska, I still think Scott Frost and Nebraska are going to be competitive. I know their record last year didn't reflect it, but you look at all those losses, all those games, they were all very close. So you have that, and then, you know, Oklahoma plays every team in the conference. So their final stretch of games, they have a very uh, tough stretch middle of the season. 
really to start off conference play. Kansas State gives them a tough time. TCU does. But then you really get into the thick of it. You have Texas uh, in there. And then you have at Iowa State, a Baylor, West Virginia, Oklahoma State, Texas Tech. So very difficult schedule for Oklahoma to go unblemished. And I think with just one loss, one loss, I think a loss to Baylor uh, is very much in the works, maybe in Oklahoma State or a Texas as well. You know, the red rivalry, that could spark an upset. And Steve Sarkeesian on that sideline. Uh, so I do think they go 10-2 and two, uh, in their, you know, conference. You know, I think Baylor is the next best team there. It, Ten and two as well, uh, but I think that in that game, Oklahoma gets the better of them, and they finish uh, eleven and two. Now moving on to my conference, the Big Ten, the Big Ten, oh, one of the best conferences in college football, one of the most watched to me, one of the premier leagues up there with. The SEC, the Big Ten. Last year, I had Ohio State winning the Big Ten. Uh, thankfully, I was wrong about that. This year, I'm going with Michigan to win the Big Ten. And I know a lot of people, I've been reading, you know, the more I read about Michigan, the more people are saying that last year seems like an outlier for Michigan. Uh, some people are even calling it a fluky year even though they had immense talent, Aiden Hutchinson, David Ojabo, Dax Hill, all first-rounders. Uh, you had Josh Ross, uh, Junior Colson, uh, a bunch of people, great offensive line, great defense. People are calling it a fluke. I'm not buying it. I think Michigan's back. I haven't predicted Michigan to win a division, a conference in a long time. I started to become a realist last year. I thought they'd make it to the playoff four seed. I was right on that one. I'm picking Michigan to win this conference. Yes, with the great Ohio State, people have just been heaping on praise for C.J. Stroud, praise for Travion Henderson, praise for Jackson Smith and Jigma. Nobody is looking at any of the flaws in Ohio State. A lot of it's their defense. Nobody's looking at some of their best offensive linemen got outmanned by David Ojabo and Aiden Hutchinson last year, and that it can happen to them again. People aren't realizing that, you know, they don't look at the talent that Ohio State lost, the Garrett Wilsons, the Chris Olaves. They just turn a blind eye to that. But no, Michigan is winning this conference. And to boot, Michigan's going to be the only undefeated team this year. Michigan's going to go 12-0, 12-0. They're going to be the Big Ten champion. It's going to come down to that final game, of course, of Michigan-Ohio State. Uh, and I like Michigan to win. I like the composure of their quarterbacks, Cade McNamara, J.J. McCarthy. Everybody's been talking about Travion Henderson, best running back in the Big Ten. Well, who had a higher pro football focus grade last year? Him or Blake Corum? It was Blake Corum and Hassan Haskins both. They were the best running back duo. So just because Hassan Haskins left, does that mean Blake Corum? It was no longer going to be good? No. Donovan Edwards is going to step up. To me, they're still going to have the best running back duo. 
Uh, offensive line's going to be great. Defense, Mozzie Smith, Mike Morris, again, Courtney Upshaw, they're going to be great. They're going to be great. And then I love their secondary still. I like DJ uh, Turner. They got an excellent freshman uh, coming in. And uh, Jarek Broussard, who's a transfer, uh, you know, Will Johnson. So I think this Michigan team, it's very, very, very solid. I'm not saying Ohio State's going to be good. I think they're, both teams are going to be on an 11-0 collision course into that game. But I think Michigan wins. You know, last year was all this talk. They can't beat Ohio State. Now the talk is they haven't won back-to-back Big Ten championship games since 03-04. They haven't beat Ohio State back-to-back in 22 years. You know, it just can't be done. But I look at Michigan's schedule. Their first three games are cakewalks. They're just tune-up games. Colorado State, Hawaii, UConn, they're tune-ups. Maryland, you'll get a little, a little stiffer competition with Talia Tagovailoa, who I think is a great quarterback. But Michigan, I think, can handle them. That's in Maryland. And then Michigan goes to Iowa. And everything wants to be told about Iowa and, you know, Kinnick Stadium. Michigan's last for four trips here. Yes, but, you know, Iowa has some really good teams, you know, and they've had the George Kittles and the, you know, Tristan Wirfs and the, you know, great, great, great talents that are in the NFL right now. They just lost their best running back. And Michigan just played Iowa in the Big Ten championship game. Michigan destroyed them, like 42-3, to 42-10. It was embarrassing. They embarrassed them. So I think the taste is going to be left in Iowa's mouth. But Michigan is far head and shoulders above Iowa. They play Indiana, beat them. The Penn State game's nice because this game's in Michigan. That helps Michigan out. It'll be tough. Uh, you know, their quarterback's always going to be there. James Franklin, I think, is a bit tad overrated. Michigan wins. They get Michigan State at home in Michigan. This will be a big one. No Kenneth Walker. I know they got another impact transfer running back. But I'm sorry, Mel Tucker, you're not beating them. Then Michigan has three more cakewalks and Rutgers, Nebraska, Illinois. Before of a big game, Ohio State. Uh, and I think Michigan beats them. They go 12-0. Ohio State, I think, goes 11-0. Leading up to that game, they lose that game. They have a tough you know, opening game, Notre Dame, Ohio State. But it's the first week, I think, Ohio State's just on a different level this year. Uh, then they've got their tune-up games, the Arkansas State, the Toledos. They play Wisconsin. It's in Ohio State. They beat them. And, you know, Ohio State will play Iowa, Michigan State, Penn State. But I think Ohio State beats them for all the same reasons Michigan does. They're just a better team. Uh, And I like Ohio State a lot. I like C.J. Stroud. Uh, I think he's top two quarterback in the college football. I think Travion Henderson's a top five running back. I think Jackson Smith and Jigba, their wide receiver, best wide receiver. But it's just something about their defense, especially when it comes to the Michigan game. Defense matters in that game. Field position, special teams. Michigan has the best special teams unit in the league. Uh, I think Michigan will do the little things right. Uh, Again, and Michigan wins uh, the Big Ten. 
Uh, I firmly believe that. I think they'll go 12-0 and 0, uh, this year. And I think they'll play a Wisconsin, you know, in the uh, Big Ten Championship game. And they'll win that game as well and finish 13-0. Next, the Pac-12. Now, the Pac-12 is a little different this year because they got rid of divisions. They used to have a north-south division. So the north, you know, was the Oregons, the Stanfords, you know, Cal. uh, Well, the south was Arizona, ASU, USC, UCLA. They got rid of divisions. So now, you know, the two best teams of the Pac-12 are going to face off in the uh, title game for the Pac-12. And who do I have winning the Pac-12? I have Utah repeating. I really like Utah. I think Utah had Ohio State on the ropes in the Rose Bowl last year, had them down a lot, and they kind of let that game slip away. I think Utah is a great team. Now, a lot of people are talking about USC. They're talking about Lincoln Riley and Caleb Williams and, you know, Addison and Jordan Addison that came over as well from Pitt. And I think USC is going to have a great offense. Lincoln Riley is an offensive coach. But the defense, Pac-12 is not really known for defense, hasn't been for quite some time, especially Lincoln Riley, who always had one of the worst defenses at Oklahoma. I think that continues, and that comes back to bite them. They show a lot of promise on offense this year, but defense isn't going to be that good. Whereas we have a team like Oregon, their new coach is in. Uh, you know, Dan Lanning was a defensive coordinator for Georgia, learned a lot from Kirby Smart, and I think he's going to have a fantastic year. Uh, the defense is going to be really solid. Offense might leave a little bit desired, but I think Oregon's have a great year. But I look at Utah, returning so many great players from last year. Uh, Clark Phillips, cornerback. Cameron Rising, their star quarterback. Tavian Thomas, their running back, was first team all Pac-12 last year. A couple of tight ends, their offensive linemen. Uh, so, and their you know star linebacker as well, Mohamed Diabate. I mean, I don't see a lot of holes in this Utah team. I really don't. I like this Utah team a lot. I think they go 10-2 and two and win the, the division. Uh, and they'd win that game, so they, technically they'd be 11-2. and two. Uh, But, you know, I can see USC going 9-3, and 10-2 in their first year, flipping the script. I can see Oregon going 8-4, and 9-3. and three. UCLA, Chip Kelly, you know, getting a few more wins uh, to 8-4. and four. I think the Pac-12 is going to be better. Uh, this year, but Utah is still the best in this division, and that's why I have them winning. And when you look at their schedule uh, as well, you know, they open in Florida. Uh, That'll be very tough for Utah going to the swamp, all that humidity. But they come back from that, and they don't face a lot of hard teams away. USC has to come to Utah. You know, Utah goes to Oregon the end of the year, but we saw that story, you know, two times last year, Utah and Oregon. So I think USC getting Utah home, you know, helps them, uh, and they win that game. Uh, whereas USC catches a break. They don't get Utah, but or they don't get Oregon, 
but they do get uh, Notre Dame at the end of the year. So, you know, you the Pac-12 is going to be tough this year, but I like uh, Utah to win it at 10-2 and two, or 11-2 and two since they'll be winning the championship game. Now time to move on to the SEC. Yes, the best conference in college football has to still give it up to the SEC. And that's ran by the two-headed monster of Georgia and Alabama. Last year, Georgia was 12-0, Alabama 11-1. They met in the SEC championship game, Alabama won. So they're both 12-1. and one. They meet up in the national championship game, and Georgia ends up winning. But I had Alabama winning the SEC this year, again, uh, like last year. To me, they're just a better team. Uh, Bryce Young, I'm sorry, Stetson Bennett, but Bryce Young's far better than you. Uh, their transfer we got from Georgia Tech, their running back, Jamir Gibbs, is going to be fantastic ease some of that workload off Bryce Young since they lost two great wide receivers and John Mechie and Danison Williams. But they also have the best player in all of college football. That's Will Anderson, their outside linebacker, who is a stud. So, yes, I think Alabama wins this. Alabama always wins. It's just a given now. Georgia, you know, lost a lot of talent. They lost their George Pickens. Uh, their best wide receiver lost a ton of people on defense. Uh, Nicobe Dean, Trevon Walker, Jordan Davis. They lost all their stars, so I think they can replenish. But Alabama is going to be better. I got Alabama going eleven and one. Georgia going twelve and zero. But they would play each other in the championship game. Alabama would win that. Go twelve and one, twelve and one. So it's kind of very similar to a repeat of last year. And I look at Georgia's schedule, and the whole thing's a cakewalk. We talk about the SEC, but it's really the SEC West. The SEC East, what Georgia's in, it's much easier. Yes, they'll face Oregon right away, but I I think Georgia can pull that one off. And then if they get through that, they play Sanford. They play South Carolina. To me, that's their biggest potential upset on their schedule is early in South Carolina because of what I said. Shane Beamer, Spencer Radler uh, over there, could they pull off the upset? If they make it through that game unscathed and they look good, they're going 12-0. and I'm sorry, but can State beat in Georgia? Missouri, Auburn, that's in Georgia. Vanderbilt, Florida, Tennessee, that game's also in Georgia. Mississippi State, Kentucky, Georgia Tech. None of those teams are beating Georgia. Georgia will go undefeated. Whereas you look at Alabama's schedule, it's a little tougher. They play Texas at Texas. I wish that was a night game, but I think Alabama can get the better of them. They play Arkansas. Arkansas has picked it up. That's in Arkansas. But then a week later, they play Texas A&M. All eyes will be on that game. Uh, The beef between Jimbo Fisher and Nick Saban this year. You know, Nick Saban telling, uh, or Jimbo Fisher telling Nick Saban he should have been slapped more as a child. And, you know, uh, they're kind of back and forth business. So that'll be exciting. But I think Alabama wins. 
of that game. I think the slip-up I see in Alabama schedule, you know, it's not the Iron Bowl that that game's in Alabama. When that game's in Alabama, Alabama tends to dominate. I see the slip-up either November 5th or November 12th. I think Brian Kelly with LSU is going to be very good this year, and that's at LSU, big rivalry. And then the following week is at Ole Miss, and is this the year Lane Kiffin finally gets a better of Nick Saban. I think that's one of the two Ole Miss high-powered offense there uh, with Lane Kiffin. I see that those two games as potential upset weeks for Alabama over any other game in the schedule. Yes, over Arkansas or Texas A&M, I think they can put up a fight, but the toughest will be at the end on the road in Baton Rouge or in Oxford. But I do think Alabama goes 11-1. They win and they go 12-1. and one. So we have our division winners, our conference champions. Now, who makes a playoff? Well, who's my playoff predictions? Well, based on my division and conference winners, the number one team would be the Michigan Wolverines. They're 13-0. They're undefeated. And when I really look at teams as well, uh, outside of the players and the schedule, uh, one thing I look at a lot is also the S&P rankings. And for those wondering what the S&P projections are, uh, those are basically based on three factors, uh, which is returning you know, production, recent recruiting, recent history. Uh, it's also a tempo and opponent adjusted based uh, on your efficiency. So when I look at teams picking conference winners, division winners, I want to look at teams that have a high efficiency offense, defense, special teams. That's why I like Michigan. Their offensive is six. Is six. Their defense, 17. So both spots are in the top 20, whereas we have a team like Clemson, who I have it 10-2 and because of their offense. Their offense is ranked 39th. Their defense, number one. So, you know, even though you have a great defense, the offense is going to have to show up sometimes. So I want teams better than that. And then, of course, you have Alabama, Georgia, both in the top five on offense and defense. Ohio State has the best offense. Uh, their defense, 15, so it's closer to Michigan on that spectrum. Uh, but then you have close ones like Notre Dame, their defense at seven, uh, their offense at 18. So that's what helps me, uh, you know, determine along with, you know, the schedule, the players, you know, all of that to get to it. I think Michigan, as I stated, they're going to go 13-0. I like the quarterback. I like what Jim Harbaugh is building here. Yes, they lost both their coordinators, but they've replaced them. You know, offense, you know, was just a quarterback's coach, you know, coming up to that role. Uh, and then defense, they got Minter, uh, Vanderbilt, but is also a Ravens guy like Mike McDonald was. So I don't expect a ton of drop-off. So I think they're going to be number one. Number two would be the Alabama Crimson Tide. Again, they go 12-1. and one. They beat Georgia in the SEC championship game. So you have to give them that two spot. But thankfully, Michigan goes undefeated this year. So there's no debate of an undefeated Michigan and a 12-1 Alabama. Michigan beat Ohio State. Alabama beat Georgia. But Michigan's got a zero in the loss column. 
which gives us the number three. The second or the third best team would have to be the Georgia Bulldogs. They had an undefeated regular season, but they lose to Alabama again. You can't drop them to four for reasons I'm about to say, but they have to be at three because they're a 12 and one team. Only three teams so far that I've mentioned would have 12 plus wins. That's Michigan, Alabama, Georgia. Georgia would have to be there. Now the number four spot gets really, really interesting. Uh, because like I said, um, this is going to be the battle here. Because I have Clemson going 11-2. and two. I have Oklahoma going 11-2. and two. I got Utah going 11-2. and two. Notre Dame I have going 10-2. and two. I think Notre Dame's out because they don't play a championship. They might be Clemson. But Clemson has that conference, uh, you know, championship, which the committee values. So you've got Clemson 11-2, and two, Oklahoma 11-2, Utah 11-2. But you also have Ohio State at 11-1. And, and there's usually some sort of chaos in the college football ranking, some debate. So the debate's going to be, do you put an 11-win champion in there? one of the Clemson, Oklahoma's, or Utah's, or do you put an Ohio State in there? Even though they don't have a conference championship, all those other teams have two losses. Ohio State has one loss, and for most of the season, Ohio State was a top-two team. So how do you split that up? So I think with the committee ranking, when they look at the schedule, they hey, Ohio State has beat a Notre Dame, which Notre Dame might have a – win on Clemson, you're going to put Ohio State above Clemson, uh, especially that win against the Notre Dame-Clemson game was middle towards the end of the year. And then you look at Oklahoma's in the uh, Utah's, and we want to put the four best teams there. Ohio State proved throughout the year they were the four best team. So we're going to have a Big Ten SEC playoff where it's one Michigan versus four Ohio State, and two Alabama versus three Georgia. That's really how I peg it out. I think those are the four best teams. I know last year uh, I was close on the four best teams. I had Michigan, Alabama, Georgia, and Clemson. Clemson proved me wrong last year. Uh, but I did have Georgia, Alabama, but Alabama winning. This year I have Michigan beating Ohio State, Alabama beating Georgia, This is Michigan's year. Michigan beats Alabama. The matchup we've all wanted to see for a big-time game. You know, we got to see Nick Saban, Jim Harbaugh, but that was like in the Capital One Bowl. You know, people resting their starters. This is the game we want to see. Nick Saban, Jim Harbaugh for a national championship. I have Michigan back, which cements their place is actually back in terms of recognition and acknowledgement within the college football world. So with that being said, who fills out some of the others' big games? Well, because of my rankings, Orange Bowl selected Clemson, winner of the uh, ACC, and then, you know, the second best team of the SEC, or the Big 12 would be Baylor. Uh, Those two play each other. Sugar Bowl, Texas A&M. Third best team of the SEC plays the winner of the Big 12. So you have Texas A&M, Oklahoma. The Cotton Bowl, a couple of at-large bids. Notre Dame versus Cincinnati. 
they had to take a Power 5 school in another top school in the rankings, so Notre Dame, Cincinnati just makes sense. And then the Rose Bowl. Utah, like I said, just misses out. Uh, they go 11-2, and two, uh, but they play Michigan State. Now, Michigan State's the only team I really haven't mentioned yet, but I do think Michigan State is a pesky team uh, with Mel Tucker as their coach and another good running back transfer coming in. However, they're just not the same class as Michigan and Ohio State. Again, they have an easy non-conference schedule, uh, but there's, you know, they have a very tough three-week stretch. It's Ohio State, Wisconsin, Michigan. You're losing two of those games, which is why I have them going to the Rose Bowl over Wisconsin, uh, because Wisconsin's losses would be to Ohio State and Michigan State, and Michigan, of course, and there. So they'd be ten and three compared to Michigan State's ten and two, and with a tiebreaker, they'd take Michigan State over Wisconsin for the Rose Bowl. So we'd get a Utah-Michigan State Rose Bowl, Utah back there. My Heisman winner. I have C.J. Stroud winning the Heisman. He's a preseason favorite. And I think with how much C.J. Stroud is going to be passing in the, this offense, I like him. Now, Jackson Smith and Jigba, wide receiver there, could get it. Uh, I think he'll be another finalist. Bryce Young also is going to be in the conversation. He won the Heisman last year. But I just don't see a repeat Heisman winner. Uh, so that's why I'm giving it to C.J. Stroud. The top running back, I think, is going to be Bijan Robinson for Texas. Uh, not only is he great, you know, third down, three down back, just ground and pound, but he's also versatile out of the backfield as well, can catch and take the ball upfield. Best wide receiver, Jackson Smith and Jigba, Ohio State. But my best defensive player and just best player overall is Will Anderson. Uh, to me, he should have got more Heisman love last year. He was great. Uh, I think 15 sacks, like, you know, 29 tackles for loss. He was he had an insane year last year. I think he'll be even better this year, and he'll be one of the top draft picks in the 2023 NFL draft. Now that we've talked about college football, let's move on to the NFL. Starting with one Aaron Donald. What did Aaron Donald get involved in? Yesterday, a scuffle broke out uh, between um, the Los Angeles Rams and the Cincinnati Bengals because it was a joint practice. And, you know, it was reported that the offensive line, Lyle Collins, were getting the better of Aaron Donald and the Rams' defensive line. And things got a little heated, and Aaron Donald started taking off Bengals players' helmets and swinging it at him. Very reminiscent to a Miles Garrett. Now, if you recall Miles Garrett in a Monday night football game, near the end took off Mason Rudolph's helmet and started beating him upside the head with it, and Miles Garrett got an indefinite suspension. I think it ended up being 10, 12 games, but there were people calling him to get cut from the league, no longer playing the NFL. However, we have this double standard with Aaron Donald. 
Nobody is saying that. You know, you have some people in the media saying he's suspended, but not a lot of shows are talking about Aaron Donald. You know, of course, the Rams aren't going to suspend him. And it's unfortunate because when it's a league game, you know, if incidents happen, the league's involved. However, when it's practices, league has no jurisdiction. It's a team decision. Now, do you think the team's going to suspend Aaron Donald? Of course not. Should he be suspended? Absolutely. He did what Miles Garrett did in a practice. There's video of it. You can watch it. He should be suspended. And on top of this, we like to praise Aaron Donald for his greatness. But he is a very, very, very dirty player. And so many people just ignore it. Let's heart back, shall we? And let's go back in time. 2016, uh, you know, opener against the 49ers. What does Aaron Donald do? Oh, he grabs a wide receiver by the back of his neck, Quinton Patton, and then shoves him down, choking him. That same year, a month later, against Detroit Lions, Matthew Stafford in a victory formation, taking a knee, should be a harmless play. But no, Aaron Donald decides to bull rush, you know, that play, shove Stafford to the ground, and then knee him in the back. So back-to-back months, you know, the first incident, Aaron Donald had, you know, a $21,000 fine for unnecessary roughness and a sportsman-like conduct. Aaron Donald took a penalty that game, $21,000 fine for unsportsmanlike conduct. Again that year, three times this year, in 2016, excessive face mask. They were losing game to the Seattle Seahawks, so they called the face mask and the sportsmanlike conduct. 30-yard penalty, uh, his two penalties. Uh, he also threw a flag at the official, so... He got fined about $40,000 that game. So that season alone, he was fined $82,000, had three kind of dirty plays on him. Let's go back. Let's go forward a couple of years. We were just in 2016, now 2018. Again, playing the Seahawks. What does Aaron Donald do? Well, he finds Justin Britt after the game. Now, Justin Britt and Aaron Donald kind of got into it during the game. But after the game, uh, tried to start a fight with Justin Britt, uh, took off his helmet and everything, tried to charge him. And guess what? Another $25,000 fine. Let's fast forward all the way till 2021. Aaron Donald chokes a Packers offensive lineman. Uh, Donald's hand just right on Patrick's throat, just squeezing it. And guess what? And I fell find him again, $10,000. Oh, guess what? Playoff game this past year against the Cardinals, Aaron Donald choked another offensive lineman, DJ Humphreys, uh, assessed a $10,000 fine. Now, this year, he's already swinging helmets at opposing players. I think at least a fine should be in place. But don't try to tell me that Aaron Donald's the face of this game or some great player for this league. Because he has a history of dirty plays. He's a dirty player. And that's okay. What do we want what do we want to label Nazama Kong Su? We wanted to label him a dirty player. So guess what? Aaron Donald gets that same level. 
He is a dirty, dirty player. He should be suspended. He should be fine. It's probably unlikely that either happen, but it should because he has a history of it, a long history dating back 2016, 60, six years of his actions should be fined, should be suspended. The NFL should step up and intervene. Moving on. Devontae Adams. You know, I talked great about Devontae Adams yesterday on the show um, about what he said about what he, how he lines up on the line before a play starts and then all these things fire off in his head, you know, which is why he's the best wide receiver in football. All these routes he can take, what he'll do to the defensive back. But Devontae Adams decided to say something also absurd yesterday evening. He says, Aaron Rodgers has the Michael Jordan effect, and he just makes others better. Now that, my friend, is absolutely absurd that you would compare Aaron Rodgers to Michael Jordan. It's insane. In no breath should Aaron Rodgers and Michael Jordan ever share the same sentence. Yes, Aaron Rodgers, you know, might have made Devontae Adams, you know, his total stats a bit better. But what do we recognize Michael Jordan for? Does anybody know? Yes, he was a great scorer. Uh, He was a great defender. But what do we recognize Michael Jordan for? Being a great winner, his greatest accomplishments, going 6-0 and in NBA Finals, winning six rings, six Finals MVPs. That's what we recognize Michael Jordan for. Aaron Rodgers, we don't recognize him for that same reason. We recognize him for the MVPs, some great highlight throws. But he's won one Super Bowl in his career, only been to one. So can you see he has a Michael Jordan effect? No. You look at his last 21 postseason games. Again, it's just not there. 11 and 10 in those games. So no, uh, I don't see it. I mean, just take a look at this because, you know, Tom Brady, you know, I can't argue the GOAT of the NFL uh, outside of Tom Brady, nobody's resumes are comparable to Tom Brady in the NFL. He's in a different stratosphere. He's in a different realm. His, you know, if you want to have a debate, it's the greatest athlete of all time, you know, is him or Michael Jordan, him or Babe Ruth, him or Wayne Gretzky. Those are the debates. It's not him or Aaron Rodgers or him and Peyton Manning. Those aren't even debates. You'll lose because Tom Brady has the records. The Super Bowls, MVPs, he has it all. So you can't save that. So let's just look at their playoff resumes. Because playoffs is where Michael Jordan made his legacy. Playoff resume. This is just Tom Brady since turning 37, okay? He's 45 right now. Hasn't played a game yet, 45. So we're only really looking at seven years, 37 to 44. But let's look at Aaron Rodgers' whole playoff career. So since turning 37, Tom Brady's playoff record, 16-3. and 16-3. Aaron Rodgers, 
11 and 9 his whole career compared to just a seven year span for Tom Brady. In that seven year span, he's had 13 games with 30 plus points. Aaron Rodgers, eight of those games. 11 games with four touchdown drives. Tom Brady, Aaron Rodgers, seven. 15 games for Tom Brady with a 75 or higher QBR. Aaron Rodgers, 12. And the other big stat, if you just want to ignore the winning, is, oh, four Super Bowl wins, three Super Bowl MVPs. Aaron Rodgers, one Super Bowl win, one Super Bowl MVP. So it's not close. If you there's a Michael Jordan effect, it's Tom Brady. Julian Edelman would not be the same wide receiver he is that we talk about him now with. Aaron Rodgers. Julian Edelman's a Super Bowl MVP. You know, could he enter the Hall of Fame? There's a debate. Is there a debate with Aaron Rodgers? No, because he never wins a Super Bowl. He never gets any Super Bowls with Aaron Rodgers. So if you want to talk about really elevating players, you know, the Chris Hogan's, the Rob Gronkowski's, it's Tom Brady. It's not Aaron Rodgers, and it never will be, especially Devontae Adams will have a case to prove it wrong if he goes and does great things with Derek Carr because Devontae Adams never won a Super Bowl with Aaron Rodgers. So if he can have find some playoff success, have similar numbers, Devontae just defeats his argument that he has a Michael Jordan effect because I mean, to compare Derek Carr next to Michael Jordan? No, that'd be absolutely absurd. Just like it's the same way to compare Michael Jordan to Aaron Rodgers. It's just absurd, and it shouldn't happen. What else with the Green Bay Packers? Well, Jordan Love had another preseason game yesterday. And to tell you that his preseason... It's been a disaster, is an understatement. Yesterday, against a lot of Chiefs backups, did not look good through an interception. So now his total touchdown in the preseason is three, total interceptions four. He's only thrown about 350 yards in those three games as well. He's not looked good. Jordan Love, I repeat, I'm sorry, that's three preseasons in now. Three, he's not looked good. The games that he's played last year against the Chiefs, against the Lions, he just has not showed up, and he hasn't looked good. So, and the crazy thing is, uh, to me, in the shorter appearance uh, in the preseason games, Danny Etling looks better, the third string. He just does to me. He throws the ball a bit better. He can. He's more mobile somehow. He has a better passer rating. Uh, I prefer Danny Etling over Jordan Love. I do. And I think Jordan or Aaron Rodgers does as well. He had nothing but praise for Danny Etling. And I think Jordan Love's time in Green Bay, it's just about over. We've seen enough of Jordan Love. Uh, We don't need to reevaluate him again next preseason. His evaluation for now is done. It was a waste of a draft pick for the Green Bay Packers. And I know... They're trying to sell us on Jordan Love and trying to tell the world that, hey, he's good because you don't want to trade away a first-round pick that will literally is worth nothing now. 
and say that you absolutely missed on him, you don't want to accept that embarrassment, that defeat. But the Packers are going to have to suck it up and come to realization that Jordan Love's not going to be the guy to replace Aaron Rodgers one day. Uh, sorry, sorry, friend. Another cause for concern in preseason performance was that of Trey Lance. Now, should we really be concerned after yesterday's preseason game? Uh, after he struggled uh, to open the game in his first three drives, zero points, looked shaky, kind of, you know, bounced off a running back on a play on a handoff, wasn't very that clean, some of his throws weren't good, overthrown, underthrown, uh, some of his decision-making wasn't great compared to his first game against the Chiefs, where he looked lights out, and now he didn't look, you know, all that good. Cause for concern or not, I'm a little nervous uh, because you look at the San Francisco 49er team, and they're built to win a Super Bowl right now. They have the skill position players. They have Elijah Mitchell, Debo Samuel, Brandon Ayuk, Joan Jennings. They have George Kittle. They have Trent Williams. Now, some of the offensive line leaves a little to be desired, but that's understandable for what the 49ers are doing. They still have the best offensive linemen, however. Look at their defense. Not many holes there. Nick Osa, Eric Armstead, Fred Warner, uh, Jimmy Ward, uh, Jardavius Ward. Not many holes in this roster. If Tom Brady was the quarterback of this team, they win a Super Bowl. I think Joe Burrow is a quarterback in this team last year. They win a Super Bowl. Justin Herbert wins a Super Bowl. Russell Wilson wins a Super Bowl. They have a great quarterback on this team. They win a Super Bowl. So this roster is built to win a Super Bowl. But the biggest question mark is still the quarterback. Even Jimmy Garoppolo last year took him to the NFC Championship game. So any less than that is a cause for concern this year. Now, a lot of people are saying, well, they cut Jimmy Garoppolo. You have the, you know, by Tuesday, you know, will he be a free agent? If I'm a Niners, I don't cut him. I don't cut him loose because there is still, I can still find value for him. Because if Trey Lance does this roller coaster ride, which we can't have, I'm putting in the guy. I'm putting in Jimmy G. There should, you know... With uh, Jimmy Garoppolo, it's not really a roller coaster. It's consistent and steady. With Trey Lance, I can't have one good week, one bad week, one good week, one bad week. That's not good enough for the division, for the conference. I want somebody steady, especially their first two games against the Bears and the Seahawks. Now, if Trey Lance is struggling like against either of those teams, like he did against the Texans' backups yesterday, There is some issues and cause for concern. If he's struggling against the Bears defense, what defense, and the Seahawks terrible defense, then yeah, I'm putting in Jimmy G early because now my schedule really starts after that point. There I'm playing the Broncos Sunday night. I'm playing the Rams Monday night. I'm playing the Panthers with Baker. I'm playing the Chiefs, the Rams again, the Chargers. So if Trey Lance isn't ready for the Bears, Seahawks, He's not going to be ready for the Rams and for the Broncos and for the Chiefs. He's just not going to be ready. But Jimmy G 
is ready. He's played those games before. He's won those games before. What would I do? Kyle Shannon is a terrific coach. I take a page out of Jim Harbaugh's book. You know, Cade McNamara, J.J. McCarthy style last year. The two-man system worked out very well. You put your egos aside because you want to win some games. And you do that. Jimmy G is the guy. But for some packages, maybe even for a drive, I'll strip some plays for Trey Lance, tell him to go make a play. And that's how we roll about this offense. And you really keep the defense guessing the whole game. That's what I would do if I was Kyle Shanahan. I don't think he will. He's made it abundantly clear, him and John Lynch, that, you know, Jimmy Garoppolo, his time with us is over. They thanked him. They've moved on. It's Trey Lance. But you better be right about Trey Lance because anything less than a championship game this season for this 49ers team is a disappointment. You've got to make it to that game. And then last but not least, finishing up with the NBA, there have been reports of the Lakers. Could they send home Russell Wilson or Russell Westbrook and just tell them to not show up to work, not show up to practice because they don't want to risk an injury. They just they just don't want him with the team as well, like the Rockets did to John Wall last year. Should they do that? Yes, I think they should. I think it's a smart move. I think Patrick Beverly, Russell Westbrook, two players that don't get along. I know, like I mentioned yesterday, LeBron tweeted about Russell Westbrook in his comeback year, and Patrick Beverly seemed to co-sign that. But things aren't going to work out well. You know, last year you had Patrick Beverly strip the ball from Russell Westbrook, you know, calling him trash like five times to his face, holding up, you know, putting his fingers on his nose like the smell of trash was around. So it's not going to be good. Send Russell Westbrook home. Trade him. Cut him loose. Like I said, the trade for you, uh, Patrick Beverly makes his team – Minimally better. Minimal. But if, you know, you still have Russell Westbrook, it undoes all the trades you make. It undoes all the signings you have. If Russell Westbrook is still on your team, he needs to go. He needs to leave. I don't care that he can average 18-8-8. His turnovers, his decision-making, his shooting, that's all the lack thereof. Can't be on the Lakers anymore. He needs to go. So, with that being said, yes, the Lakers should send him home. Try to find anybody to take on that contract. Take him right away because uh, it's not going to work out good for the Lakers and Russell Westbrook yet again. This has been Unbothered. I hope you all have a great weekend. I'll talk to you all next week. Bye, everybody.